Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. For anyone who wondered where the other road led. Prologue. Viv buried her greatsword in the scalvered skull with a meaty crunch. Black blood thrummed in her hands, and her muscular arms strained as she tore it back and out in a spray of gore. The scalvert queen gave a long, vibrating moan, and then thundered to the stone in a heap. With a sigh, Viv slumped to her knees. The persistent twinge in her lower back flared up, and she dug in the knuckles of one huge hand to chase it away. Wiping sweat and blood from her face, she stared down at the dead queen. Cheers and shouts echoed from behind her. She leaned closer. Yes, there it was, right above the nasal cavity. The beast's head was twice as wide as she was, all improbable teeth and uncountable eyes with a huge underslung jaw, and in the middle, the fleshy seam she'd read about. Jamming her fingers into the fold, she pried it open. A sickly golden light spilled out. Viv slid her whole hand into the pocket of flesh, curled her fist around a faceted organic lump, and yanked. It came free with a fibrous ripping sound. Fennis moved to stand behind her. She could smell his perfume. Is that it then? He asked, only a little interested. Yep, Viv groaned as she hoisted herself to her feet, using black blood as a crutch. Without bothering to clean the stone, she stuffed it into a pouch on her bandolier, then propped the greatsword on her shoulder. And that's truly all you want? Fennis squinted up at her. His long, beautiful face was amused. He gestured at the walls of the cavern, where the Scalvert Queen had entombed untold wealth within sheets of hardened saliva. Wagons, chests, and the bones of horses and men hung suspended amidst gold, silver, and gemstones, the shiny castaways of centuries. Yep, she said again. We're square. The rest of the party approached. Rune, Tyvus, and little Galena brought with them the exhausted but exultant chatter of the victorious. Rune combed muck from his beard, Galena sheathed their daggers, and Tyvus glided behind them both, tall and watchful. They were a good crew. Viv turned away and strode toward the cavern's entrance, where dim light still filtered through. Where are you going? hollered Rune in his rough, affable voice. Out. But aren't you gonna- began Galena. Someone shushed her, most likely Fennis. Viv felt a prick of shame. She liked Galena the most and probably should have taken the time to explain. But she was done. Why drag things out? She didn't really want to talk about it, and if she said anything more, she might change her mind. After 22 years of adventuring, Viv had reached her limit of blood and mud and bullshit. An orc's life was strength and violence and a sudden sharp end. But she'd be damned if she'd let hers finish that way. It was time for something new. One. Viv stood in the morning chill, looking down into the broad valley below. The city of Thune bristled up from a bed of fog that hazed the banks of the river bisecting it. Here and there, a copper-clad steeple flashed in the sun. She had broken camp in the pre-dawn dark, and her long legs had eaten up the final few miles. Black blood weighed heavy on her back, the scalvert stone tucked in one of her inner jacket pockets. She could feel it like a hard, withered apple and reflexively touched it through the cloth from time to time to reassure herself it was still there. A leather satchel hung over one shoulder, stuffed mostly with notes and plans, a few chunks of hardtack, a purse of platinum chits and assorted precious stones, and one small, curious device. She followed the road down and into the valley as the fog burned away, and a lonely farmer's cart tottered by, stuffed with alfalfa. Viv felt a rising sense of nervous elation, something she hadn't felt in years, like a battle cry she could barely hold in. She'd never prepared as much for any one moment. She'd read and questioned, researched and wrestled, and Thune had been the city she'd chosen. When she'd crossed every other location off her list, she'd been absolutely positive. Suddenly, that conviction seemed foolish and impulsive, 
yet her excitement remained undimmed. No outer wall surrounded Thun. It had sprawled far beyond its original fortified boundaries, but she sensed herself approaching the edge of something. It had been ages since she'd stayed in one place more than a handful of nights, the duration of a job. Now she was going to put down roots in a city she'd visited maybe three times in her entire life. She stopped and looked around warily, as though the road wasn't entirely vacant, the farmer long gone into the mist. Withdrawing a scrap of parchment from her satchel, she read the words she'd copied. Well nigh to Thomic line, the scalvered stone of fire, draws the ring of fortune, aspect of heart's desire. Viv tucked it carefully away again, exchanging it for the device she'd purchased a week before from a Thomist scholar in Arvennes, a witching rod. The small wooden spindle was wrapped in copper thread, which covered the runes inscribed along its length. A wishbone of ash was fitted over the top and into a groove, so it spun freely. She held it in her fist, feeling the copper thread absorb the warmth of her palm. The spindle gave a barely perceptible tug. At least she was fairly certain it was a tug. During the thalmist's demonstration, there had been a stronger pull. Viv pushed down the sudden thought that it had all been a parlor trick. As a rule, folks with a fixed address avoided swindling an orc twice their height who could snap a wrist if they shook hands too firmly. She took a deep breath and strode into Thune with the witching rod before her. Thune's wakeful noises rose as she moved farther into the city. At the outskirts, the buildings had been mostly wooden, with some river stone foundations interspersed. The deeper she ventured, the more stone prevailed, as though the city had calcified as it aged. Muddy dirt gave way to a smattering of stone lanes, then cobbles near the city's core. Temples and taverns huddled around squares featuring statues of people who probably used to be important. Any doubts about the witching rod had evaporated. It definitely pulled now, like a living thing, brief twitches growing into insistent tugs. Her research hadn't been in vain. Ley lines were clearly threaded beneath the city, powerful avenues of thomic energy. Scholars debated whether they grew where people settled or gathered folk near like warmth and winter. What mattered to Viv was that they were here. Finding a potent ley line was only the start, of course. The little wishbone of ashwood twitched left and right, tugging one way for a time before reversing and pulling like a fish on a hook in another direction. After a while, she didn't have to look at it. The feel of it was enough, and Viv paid more attention to the buildings she passed. The device ushered her down the major thoroughfares, through the squiggling alleys that stitched them together, past blacksmiths and hostels and markets and inns. There were a few people her height on the streets, and she never found herself crowded. Black blood tended to have that effect. She passed through all the layers of smell that made up a city, baking bread and waking horses and wet stone and hot metal and floral perfume and old shit. The same smells you found in any city, but underneath them, the morning scent of the river. Sometimes, between the buildings, she could see the blades of the water wheel at the flour mill. Viv let the rod lead her where it wanted. A few times, the tug was so strong she stopped and inspected the buildings nearby, but, disappointed, she'd continue onward. The rod would resist for a while until it seemed to give up, finding a new direction in which to surge. At last, when it yanked hard, she came to a semi-dazed stop and found what she needed. Not on the high street, that would have been too much to hope for, but it was only one removed. Kerosene street lamps dotted the length, extinguished now, and like as not you wouldn't be knifed there after dark. The buildings on redstone showed their age, but the roofs seemed in good repair, all except one in particular, and here the witching rod drew her closer. It was small for what it was. A battered sign hung from the single remaining iron eyehook, Parkin's livery, the paint of the embossed letters long since flaked away. There were two large iron-bound wooden doors, but they were ajar, and the cross beam was leaning against the wall nearby. Another, smaller, orc-sized door was amusingly padlocked to the left of it. Viv ducked her head in for a look. Light filtered from a hole in the roof above, and a handful of clay shingles lay shattered across the broad alleyway leading between six horse stalls. 
A ladder of dubious sturdiness led to a loft, and to the left, a small office with a back room. The sour smell of moldering hay came from the trough at the back. Dust swirled in beams of light as though it never settled. It was as perfect as she could hope for. She tucked the witching rod away. When she reemerged into the growing traffic of the street, she spied a knobbly old woman sweeping the stoop across the way. Viv was pretty sure she'd been sweeping since her arrival, the threshold no doubt sparkling at this point, but she continued to attack it with determination, shooting Viv a surreptitious look every other second. Viv strode across the street. The old woman had the good grace to appear surprised, mustering something approaching a smile as she did. Do you know who owns this place? asked Viv, pointing back at the livery. The woman was less than half her height and had to crane to make eye contact. Her eyes disappeared as she compressed her face into a considering tangle of wrinkles. The livery? Yep. Well, she dragged the word out thoughtfully, but Viv could tell there was nothing wrong with her memory. That's so handsome, if I recollect properly. Never had much of a head for business, that man. Not for trade, nor husband's work, neither, to hear his old lady tell it. Viv didn't miss the woman's suggestive pump of the eyebrows. Not Parkin? Nope. Twas too cheap to change the sign when he bought it. Viv's smile was amused, her lower fangs prominent. Any idea where I can find him? Couldn't say for certain, but I imagine attending to the only work he never failed at. She tipped her free hand, bringing an imaginary tankard to her lips. If you really want to find him, I'd try the places on Rawbone Alley. At about six over. She gestured to the south. At uh, this time of morning. Oh, this business he's serious about. Thanks, miss, said Viv. Oh, miss, is it, cackled the woman. You can call me Laney. You planning to be my new neighbor? She made a give it over motion. Viv. Viv, said Laney, nodding. I guess we'll see. Depends on whether he's as bad a businessman as you say. The old woman was still laughing as Viv left for Rawbone Alley. No matter what Laney said, Viv didn't really expect to find the much maligned Ansem at this time of day. She figured she'd ask after him in any swill joint with an open door and, once she knew his haunts, track him down after the day wore on. Turned out she only needed three stops before she found him in residence. The tavern keep looked her up and down after she asked, raising his eyebrows pointedly at Blackblood's hilt over her shoulder. No trouble from me, just business, she said evenly. She tried to look less imposing. Apparently satisfied that she wasn't spoiling for a fight, he cocked a thumb at the corner and went back to swabbing the grime of the bar top into new and more interesting locations. As Viv approached the table, she got the overwhelming impression that she was entering the den of some elderly woodland beast. A badger, perhaps. Not a dangerous sense, but the feeling of a place where he spent so much time that it had absorbed his smell and become essentially his. He even looked like a badger, a big greasy black beard striped with white tangled across his chest. As wide as he was tall, he occupied so much space between the wall and table that when he inhaled deeply, the thing rocked up on its legs. You, Ansem? asked Viv. Ansem allowed that he was. Mind if I sit? she asked, and then sat anyway, leaning black blood against the back of the chair. Truth be told, she wasn't really accustomed to asking permission. Ansem stared at her over puffy lower lids, not hostile, but wary. A tankard sat before him, nearly empty. Viv caught the tavern keep's attention and gestured at it, and Ansem brightened considerably. Much obliged, he muttered. I hear you own the old livery on Redstone. That true? asked Viv. Ansem allowed that he did. I'm looking to buy, she said, and have a feeling you might be looking to sell. Ansem seemed surprised, but only briefly. His gaze sharpened, and while he might not have had a head for business, Viv was pretty sure he had one for haggling. Maybe, he rumbled, but that's some prime real estate. Prime. I've had offers before, but most of them don't see past the place to really appreciate the value of the location. That is to say, they underbid. At this point, the tavern keep swapped his tankard for a fresh one, and Ansem visibly warmed to his subject. Oh, yes, so many embarrassing offers. 
I have to warn you, I know what that lot is worth, and I can't see myself selling to anyone but a serious businessman. Uh, businesswoman, he amended. Viv flashed her toothy and amused grin, thinking of Laney. Well, Ansem, there's all kinds of business. Very conscious of black blood leaning behind her, she thought of how easy her business, her old business, would have made this negotiation. But I can say for sure that when I do business of any kind, I'm always serious. She reached for her satchel, removed the purse of platinum chits, and hefted it. Withdrawing just one, she held it between thumb and forefinger, inspecting it and letting it catch the light. Platinum was a currency hardly ever seen in a place like this, and she'd need to exchange it for lower denominations soon, but she'd wanted some on hand for just this sort of moment. Ansem's eyes widened. Oh, uh, serious, yes, serious indeed. He took a long pull of his beer to cover his surprise. Sly dog, thought Viv, trying not to smirk. As one serious business person to another, I don't want to waste your time. Viv leaned on an elbow and slid eight platinum chits across the table. That's probably 80 gold sovereigns. I think that covers the value of the lot. I'm sure we can agree that the building is a loss, and I think the odds of another businesswoman tracking you down to pay cash on the barrel head is vanishing. She held his gaze. He still had the tankard to his mouth, but wasn't swallowing. Viv began to withdraw the chits, and he hurriedly reached out, pulling up short before touching her much larger hand. She raised her eyebrows. I can see you've got a keen eye for value. Ansem blinked rapidly. I do. If you want to take a moment this morning to bring the deed and sign it over, I'll wait here. But I won't wait longer than noon. Turned out the old badger was a lot nimbler than he looked. As Viv made her mark on the deed and pocketed the keys, Ansem scooped the platinum into his purse, looking relieved the deal was complete. So, I didn't figure you to be interested in livery work, he ventured. It was common knowledge that horses didn't like orcs much. I'm not. I'm opening a coffee shop. Ansem looked nonplussed. But why would you buy a horse stable for that? Viv didn't answer for a moment, but then she stared hard at him. Things don't have to stay as what they started out as. She folded the deed and tucked it into her satchel. As she left, Ansem hollered after her. Oh, and hey, what in the eight hells is coffee? Viv had three more stops to make before returning to the livery. The exchange at the trade depot put some copper, silver, and gold in her purse, and then she was off to the Athenaeum at the small Thomic University on the north bank of the river. She'd wanted to know the location anyway, in case she needed to do any reading. More importantly, the territorial post ran between the scattered Athenaeums and libraries in most major cities, and it was dependable. Those copper-clad steeples she'd seen made it easy to locate. Seated at one of the big tables between the shelves, she wrote two letters using a few sheets of her parchment. The smell of paper and dust and time put her in mind of all the recent reading she'd done in places just like this. A lifetime of training her muscles and her reflexes and her hardness of mind traded for reading and planning and amassing details. She smiled ruefully as she wrote. The gnome at the post counter couldn't stop goggling at her as she stamped the wax seal. The woman had to take the addresses twice she was so flustered at seeing an orc in the building. I'm looking for a locksmith. Know of anyone reputable? The gnome's mouth hung open a moment longer, but she recovered herself and flipped through a directory behind the counter. Mark Evans, sons, she replied. 827 Mason's Lane. She gave some sketchy directions. Viv thanked her and then left. Mark Evans' sons was there, as advertised. A silver and three coppers lighter, she left with an enormous and quite heavy strongbox under one muscular arm. Back at Parkin's livery, as the sun set, Viv unlocked the office door, rebarred the stable doors, and hauled the strongbox behind an L-shaped counter in the office. She stowed the deed and her funds inside, locked it, and strung the key around her neck. After some testing with her feet and fingertips, she found a loose flagstone in the main pathway between the stalls and, flexing mightily, levered it up and out. She scooped earth from beneath and then carefully placed the scalvert stone in the hollow. Covering it with the dirt, 
She replaced the flagstone and took a stiff and shedding stable broom to the area to ensure it looked undisturbed. She stared down at it for a few moments, all her hope centered on this small stone, buried like a secret heart in Parkin's livery. No, not a livery anymore. This place was Viv's. She looked around. Her place. Not a temporary stop or a spot to sling her bedroll for one night. Hers. The brisk evening air swirled through the hole in the roof, so for tonight at least, it would probably feel like any other night under the stars. Viv glanced up at the loft and the ladder leading to it. She tested one of the lower rungs with a foot, and it shattered like balsa. She snorted, unstrapped black blood, and with both hands tossed it into the loft, startling a bunch of pigeons that escaped through the roof. Gazing after it for a moment, she then unfurled her bedroll in one of the stalls. There'd certainly be no campfire, and there were no lanterns to speak of, but that was all right. In the dimming light, she surveyed the interior, amidst horse apples of antiquity and the dust of neglect. She didn't know much about buildings, but it was clear that this one needed an unbelievable amount of work. But at the end of it, something she built up rather than cut down. It was ridiculous, of course. A coffee shop in a city where nobody even knew what coffee was? Until six months ago, she'd never heard of it, never smelled or tasted it. On the face of it, the whole endeavor was ludicrous. She smiled in the dark. When at last she lay back on her bedroll, she started to list her tasks for the following day, but didn't make it past the third. She slept like the dead. Two. Viv woke in the pre-dawn indigo to the growing murmur of the city outside. The pigeons cooed in the loft where they'd returned to their nests. She rose and checked on the flagstone above the scalvert stone. Undisturbed, of course. Gathering a few things, she slipped into the street, chewing the last of her hardtack and inhaling the moist morning scent of shadows giving way to sun. She felt limber and coiled like she was up on her toes, ready to break into a sprint. Across the street, Laney had swapped her broom for a bowl of peas and sat on a three-legged stool, shelling them. They traded amiable nods, and then Viv locked up and left in the direction of the river. She found herself humming as she walked. In the receding morning fog, Viv made her way to the shipyards clinging to the bank of the river. The place was alive with the clatter of hammer and saw, shouts muffled by the mist. What she wanted was fixed in her mind, but she didn't expect to find it right away. She could be patient, though. and her experience, you had to be. After long hours spent reconnoitering or staking out a beast's lair, Viv had made peace with the passage of time. She bought some apples from a ratkin urchin hawking them from a burlap sack, found a stack of crates out of the way, and settled in to observe. The boats here weren't large, mostly keel boats and little fishing boats best suited to the river. A dozen or so were up on the long quay, attended by small knots of shipwrights being scraped or tarred or repaired. She watched them as they worked, keeping an eye out for what she wanted. The crews ebbed and swelled as the morning progressed. Viv was on her last apple when she found what she'd been looking for. Most of the crews worked in twos and threes, big men with big voices, scrambling over the hulls and hollering to one another as they did. A few hours on, though, a man of smaller stature appeared, hauling a wooden box of tools half as large as himself. His ears were long, body wiry, skin leathery and olive, with a flat cap pulled low over his brow. You didn't see Hobbs often in cities. Humans disparagingly called them pucks and shunned them, so they liked to keep to themselves. Viv could relate, but she was more difficult to intimidate. He labored alone at a small dinghy, while shipwrights and dock workers alike avoided him. She watched his diligent, fastidious work. Viv was no woodworker, but she could appreciate craft. His tools were meticulously organized, sharp, and well cared for. There was a deliberate economy to his every motion as he used drawing knife and plane and other things she didn't recognize to shape a new gunnel. She polished off her apple and watched him at his work, trying not to be too conspicuous about it. Lurking was a well-used part of her skill set, after all. It was noon when he tidily replaced his tools 
and unwrapped a lunch from his toolbox, and Viv approached. He squinted up at her from under his cap, but said nothing as she loomed over him. It's nice work, said Viv. Hmm, at least I expect it is. I don't know much about boats, she admitted. I expect that dulls a compliment to touch then, he replied, his voice dry and deeper than she'd expected. She laughed, then looked up and down the key. Not many here that do the work alone. Nope. You get a lot of work? He shrugged. Enough. Enough so you wouldn't like to have a lot more. He removed his cap then, and his look was more speculative. For someone who don't know much about boats, seems odd you're expecting to need much shipwrighting. Viv dropped to her haunches, tired of towering over him. Well, you're right, I don't. But wood's wood and craft's craft. I watched you work. Live long enough, you realize some folks can be handed a problem and some tools and they'll sort it out. And I never think twice about hiring that sort of fellow. Although she reflected, the tools and fellows had been historically a lot larger and a lot bloodier. Hmm, he said again. I'm Viv, she held out a hand. Calamity. His own calloused paw was swallowed by hers. Her eyes widened. Hob name, he said. You can call me Cal. Whichever you like best, I don't need your name to suit me. Cal's fine, the other's too much a mouthful. He folded the linen back over his lunch, and she now felt that she had his full attention. So, this work, that a here and now sort of prospects, or? He flapped his hand at some vaporous future. Here and now, well paid, and with the supplies you ask for, not the ones I choose for you. She withdrew her purse, opened it, removed a gold sovereign, and extended it to him. Cal held out his hands as though to catch a toss, but she deliberately placed it in one palm. He pursed his lips and bounced it in his hand. So, why me, exactly? He made to hand the coin back to her, but she declined. Like I said, I watched you work. Sharp tools, you clean as you go, your mind's on your business. She looked around at the conspicuous absence of men nearby. And you do it even when some might say it's wiser not to. Hmm, so you want me for my lack of wisdom, eh? It ain't boats you want built. What exactly have you got in mind? I think I have to show you. Rack and ruin, Cal swore under his breath. He removed his cap to tuck it into the top of his breeches. They stood outside Parkin's livery, the stable doors thrown wide, and Viv experienced a momentary twist of uneasiness. Don't know much about roofing, he said as he peered up at the hole. But you can figure it out. Hmm, he replied, and what Viv was coming to understand was an affirmative. He walked slowly around the interior, kicking at the stall panels, stomping on the flagstones. Viv tensed when he walked over the one above the scalvert stone. He peered back at her. How many you planning to hire? You have someone you like to work with, I'm not opposed. Other than that, I'm a ready pair of hands and I don't tire easy. She held them up in demonstration. It's not a livery I'm wanting, though. No? Ever hear of coffee? He shook his head. Well, I need a, a restaurant, I guess, for drinks. Oh, she went to her satchel and withdrew a set of sketches and notes. Suddenly, she was unaccountably nervous. Viv had never cared much for the judgment of others. It was pretty easy to ignore when you had three feet and six stone on most of the folks you encountered. Now, though, she worried that this small man would think her a fool. Cal was waiting for her to continue. She found herself rambling. I came across it in Azimuth, the gnomish city out in the East Territory. Was there for a, well, it doesn't matter what I was there for, but I smelled it first, and I came across this shop, and they made, well, it's like tea, but not like tea. It smells like, she stopped. And it doesn't matter what it smells like, I can't describe it anyway. At any rate, imagine I'm opening a tavern, but with no taps, no kegs, no beer. Just tables, a counter, some room in the back. Here, I did some sketches of the place I saw. She thrust the papers at him and felt color rising in her cheeks. Ridiculous. He took the pages and examined them, paying careful attention to each, as though he were committing every line to memory. 
After several agonizing minutes, he returned them. Those your sketches? Not bad. If anything, she flushed hotter. And you're planning to stay here too? He cocked a thumb at the loft. Seems that suited? I, yes. He put his hands on his hips and stared into the bay where the stalls stood. She'd half expected him to turn on his heel and leave, but now she was beginning to think she might have chosen just right. So, he walked around the space again. Seems you could keep the stalls, cut them down some, tear out the doors, box it in along the walls for benches, take some long planks, set them up on a trestle in between. Then you got yourself some booths and tables here along the sides. Tear down that wall into the office. The counter might do. Need to check for rot. He kicked at the splintered wood from the ladder and raised his eyebrows at her. Gonna need a new ladder, a couple bags of nails, whitewash, paint, clay tile, some river stone, bags of lime. Might want a few more windows in the place and a lot of lumber. So you'll do it. He gave her another one of his long, speculative looks. What did you say? I do things when it seems wiser not to? Well, if you're helping, I guess so. Give me some of that parchment and a stylus if you got it. We're gonna need a list. A long list. Tomorrow we can see about getting the orders filled and how much flatter we can make that purse of yours. For the first time since she'd met him, he offered a thin little smile. Not gonna ask how much it'll cost. Do you figure you even know yet? Don't suppose I do. Well then. Viv dragged an old tack crate away from the wall, blew away the dust, and handed him a stylus. They bent over the parchment together as Cal started writing. Cal left in the late afternoon to complete his work on the dinghy, promising to return in the morning. Viv tucked away the materials list and then stood in the hush of the livery, where the low noise outside seemed hardly to intrude. She looked out the doors and across Delaney's porch, but found it empty. She suddenly felt very alone, which was odd. Viv had spent plenty of time with no company to speak of. Long treks, lonely campgrounds, cold tents, dripping caves. But in a city, she was almost never alone. One of her crew would have been with her. Now, in this city, filled with people of all races and backgrounds, the solitude was terrible. She knew three people by name. None of them were really more than an acquaintance, although Laney seemed friendly at least, and Cal was strangely calming to be around. She locked up and headed toward the main thoroughfare, pointedly away from Rawbone Alley. You feel you need company? Well, fine. Here we are, new place, new home, for good this time. Viv found the brightest, loudest establishment she could, a restaurant and pub that seemed to do good business, with no staggering drunks in the street out front and no puddles of piss to step over. She ducked under the lintel and entered, and there was a momentary drop in the conversational volume. But Thune was pretty cosmopolitan, and orcs weren't unknown, just a little unusual. The noise picked right back up. She took a deep breath and tried to relax her face into a non-threatening expression, something she'd been practicing. Not hauling a greatsword around and wearing plain clothes hopefully added to the effect. There was a long, clean bar top, sparsely populated, and a mirror on the wall behind. Lanterns blazed throughout the dining area. It wasn't cold enough for a fire, but the room was still cheerfully lit. The tables were mostly occupied. Viv drew up a stool at the bar top, and she tried not to fidget. She felt awkward. So many people, so close, and for the first time she wasn't just passing through. It suddenly seemed that any faux pas or stumble here might follow and shame her forever, before she'd even properly settled down, irrational though the thought was. A moon-faced man approached, red-cheeked, his ears just a touch pointed, probably a little elf in him, though his girth hinted at a very human metabolism. Evening, ma'am he said, and slid a chalk slate menu in front of her. Eating or drinking? Eating. She smiled, trying not to bare her lower fangs too much. His expression didn't change a whit. Wrapping a knuckle on the slate, he said, The pork's good, I'll let you think on it, and breezed away. When he returned minutes later, she ordered the pork, and while she waited for her meal, she gazed around, musing. She hadn't dared to think this far ahead before, except in a very abstract way. 
but with Cal signed up, she allowed herself to dream on it a little. The cafe she'd visited in Azimuth had been the very definition of gnomish architecture, precisely fitted wall tiles, geometric shapes, and pavers arranged in intricate interlocking patterns. The furniture had, of course, been gnomish in scale as well. She'd had to stand. She'd known her place would be different, but now she tried to make that real in her head. She looked at the decorations inside the pub. Here an oil painting in an old gilt frame, there a huge ceramic vase on the floor with fresh ferns to sweeten the air. A simple chandelier with three fat candles, clearly changed regularly with no sloppy wax threads. Viv began to imagine her own place. Brighter, she thought, with that tall barn ceiling, some light coming in from high windows. She could see what Cal had meant about the booths as well, but maybe another long table down the middle with benches, a kind of community seating. Viv saw it with the big stable doors thrown wide, perhaps a few tables there in the entry to catch the breeze and the sun, the flagstones polished, clean, whitewashed walls. Her thoughts were interrupted by the arrival of her meal, the rich smell of it reaching her first. She discovered that she was ravenous. Before you go, she said, I wanted to ask, is this your place? The half-elf blinked and then smiled a little wider than his regular professional pleasantness. Sure is, four years now. If you don't mind me asking, how'd you get started? He leaned on the bar top. Well, it's not a family business, if that's what you're asking, and my first place sure wasn't here on the high street. He chuckled at that. And was business slow at first, or did they come all at once? She waved at the room. Oh my, slow, very slow. Fair to say I lost more money than I could afford to, and then I lost some more. But these days I lose just enough to get by. You planning to open a pub around here? Can't say I'd advise it. He winked at her, clearly joking. Not exactly, but maybe something like it. He seemed surprised, but recovered swiftly. Well, best of luck to you, ma'am. He spoke behind his hand in a stage whisper. I'll thank you not to take my customers, though, here. Not much chance of that, I don't think. Well, that's all right, then. Eat up now, or it'll get cold. Viv quietly ate her meal and didn't speak to anyone else. Her mood was meditative as she left the pub. She found a chandler's shop, still open, bought a lantern, and returned to the livery. There, she lay awake, staring into its flame. The visions of what might someday be were far from the cold and derelict place where she bedded down. Tomorrow, though? The real work would begin. Three. True to his word, Cal arrived with the dawn. Viv had placed the tack crate out front and was sitting and watching the shadows take shape in the morning sun, contemplating how excellently a mug of coffee would suit her. The hob hauled in his box of tools and placed it inside the big doorway. Morning, she said. Hmm, he said but he nodded genially enough. He removed his copy of the materials list from a pocket and unfolded it. Lots to do. Some of this we'll have directly. Some will take time. Viv produced her purse. Her platinum and most of her sovereigns were in the lockbox, but she figured there were sufficient funds to cover what was needed. She tossed it to Cal. I think I can trust you to place the orders if you're willing. Cal looked surprised. He sucked his teeth thoughtfully for a moment before saying, I reckon you'll not get the best prices if I'm the one dickering. Think it'll go better if it's me? Her smile was sardonic. Well, maybe it's a wash, and you want to trust me with all of this. Don't fret I'll stroll away with it. He bounced the purse in his hand. She gave him a long look, and her expression didn't lapse. No, he said as he took in the size and the shape of her. No, I suppose you wouldn't. Viv sighed. I've lived a long time knowing I'm a threat walking. I'd rather that wasn't the shape of it for you. He nodded and tucked the purse away. I'll need some hours. Viv stood and stretched, knuckling the ache in her lower back. It was always stiff in the cold. I need to rent a cart, something to haul the junk with, and someplace to haul it. The mill for the cart, said Cow. Figure you can find it. As for the rest, there's a midden out west and off the main road. Cart track hooks south. Thanks. I'll be off then. 
Cal tipped his cap and ambled back down the street. He was right. The mill was indeed willing to rent her a cart, less a pair of animals, for a full silver, which was certainly more than it was worth. The miller grinned smugly after she paid, no doubt imagining the trouble an orc would face hitching up a horse, but she gripped the traces in both hands, lifted, and easily got the cart moving by herself. The miller watched her roll it away, scratching the back of his bald head bemusedly. Viv worked up a healthy sweat and loosened herself up on the trip back. Along the way, she haggled with a stonemason who had three or four ladders at a job site. He parted with one for ten coppers too many, and she tossed it in the back of the cart. Laney was back on her porch, broom in hand, attacking what Viv had to imagine was the cleanest stoop in the entire territory. She gave her a neighborly nod and began the hard work of clearing out the old building. It quickly became apparent exactly how much junk had accrued in the place. Rotten lumber, horseshoe iron, a set of rusted and bent pitchforks, a baled stack of grain sacks, crumbling tack, an assortment of saddle blankets thick with mold, and plenty of awkward, cumbersome, and decrepit miscellany. The office had its own share of debris, moth-eaten ledgers, shattered inkwells, and an inexplicable set of winter underclothes gone gray with dust. Viv snapped the broken ladder, threw it in the cart, set up the new one, and climbed to the loft. Thankfully, there was only a little old hay, the pigeon's nests, and a few scraps of this and that. Black blood lay there in the dust, already gathering some itself. She picked it up, hefted it in her hands for a second, and then leaned it carefully against the slanted ceiling. By noon, the cart was piled high. Filth covered Viv from head to toe, and the livery's interior looked like a sandstorm had passed through, with little dunes and drifts of dirt having resettled after the disturbance. She thought with amusement that she should hire Laney to broom it out, but when she looked in that direction, the old woman was absent. There was, however, someone else shadowing her own doorway. Viv's back prickled with a sense she trusted implicitly. It was the reason she was still moving around and breathing, after all. Help you with something? she asked, dusting off her hands and thinking about black blood leaning up in the loft, out of reach. He was dressed stylishly, with a ruffled shirt, a vest, and a broad-brimmed hat. But on closer inspection, his clothing was worse for wear, sweat-stained and a little frayed. His skin had the gray cast of one of the stone fay, and his features were sharp. Oh, no help required, he replied. We like to welcome budding entrepreneurs to the city when we can, and I'm powerfully curious about what new business you'll bring to the district. His voice was smooth, almost cultured. Viv didn't miss the reference to a nebulous we. Oh, so you're a city official? Viv smiled, and this time she didn't concern herself with how prominent her lower fangs were. She approached him so that their difference in stature was even more apparent. She was pretty sure she knew exactly what this man was, and until recently she'd have had him by the throat and off the ground already. He didn't adjust his posture an iota, smiling back. Not as such. I just consider it my civic duty to welcome new arrivals and to take an interest in their welfare. I'll consider myself welcomed then. I didn't catch your name. You didn't, but fair exchange is no robbery. Didn't catch yours either. Indeed. I don't suppose you'd mind giving me a little preview of your new... He looked around her at the cart and waved a gloved hand. Venture? Trade secret. Oh, well, I wouldn't want to pry. I'm glad to hear that. Viv walked back, grabbed the traces, and lifted her biceps bunching as she started hauling. It was significantly heavier than it had been that morning. Her lower back lit up in a bright knot of pain. She didn't slow as she approached the door, staring grimly past her visitor who, at the last second, had to depart the threshold less gracefully than he would have doubtless preferred. We'll catch up later, he called after her, as she rumbled the cart down the cobbles to the west, her face set, breathing hard through her nose. Above, the clouds began to clot and thicken, threatening rain. Everyone else on the street made certain they were clear of the coming storm. When Cal reappeared that afternoon, the sky was even darker. Viv was seated out front on the tack box, the cart returned. Her sleeves were rolled up, 
and sweat striped the grime on her arms. As the hob approached, Viv saw a bundle under his arm, and when he stopped, he flapped a corner of it at her. Tarpaulin, looks like rain. Best we keep the new lumber dry. He tossed her purse to her, and she tucked it away without bothering to examine it. Viv hauled out the ladder and gathered a few stones from an alley. They both climbed onto the roof and anchored the tarp with the stones over the hole, just as raindrops began to speckle the tile a dusty orange. When they were back down and inside, listening to the drops clatter lightly overhead, Cal said, Well, maybe no deliveries today, unless the rain slacks off. He looked around the barren interior. A good job of it, eh? Looks a fair bit bigger now. Viv smiled ruefully as she surveyed the place. The emptiness of it somehow made the work to come more dawning. Think I'm a fool? Hmm, Cal shrugged. Not in the habit of offering my less than positive thoughts to somebody like you. Somebody like me? She sighed. You mean, I mean somebody who's paying? He gave her one of his thin smiles. Well, as the one paying, I don't see a reason for you to wait around here while- She was interrupted by the arrival of a cart with three small, sturdy crates in the back. That's promptness for you, said Cow. Viv headed out into the rain. That's not the supplies, she called over her shoulder. She had already caught the smell of it. Signing for the delivery, Viv paid the driver and declined his help hauling the crates one by one into the livery. Each was tidily assembled, with the sides and base cleverly fitted and only the top nailed in place. Gnomish stencils ran along the panels at neat right angles. Cal watched curiously as Viv gently set down the last one, then indicated Cal's toolbox, giving him a questioning look. Have at it, he said. Hefting a pry bar, she levered up the lid, and there inside was a set of muslin sacks. The scent was even stronger now, and Viv shivered in anticipation. Untying one, she dug a hand into it and let the roasted brown beans sift through her fingers. She loved the quiet hiss they made as they fell back into the bag. Hmm, you're right, not much like tea. Emerging from her reverie, Viv glanced up at him. You can smell it, though, can't you? Like roasted nuts and fruit. Cal squinted at her. Oh, you said you drank it. Viv nibbled one experimentally, tasted the warm, bitter, dark flavor as it coated her tongue. She felt she needed to explain. They grind it into powder and then run hot water through it, but there's more to it than that. When the machine shows up, I'll show you. God's the smell of it, Cal. This is just a ghost of it. She sat back on the flagstones and rolled the bean between her thumb and forefinger. I told you I came across it in Azimuth, and I remember following the smell to the shop. They called it a cafe. People just sat around drinking it from these little ceramic cups, and I had to try it, and it was like drinking the feeling of being peaceful. Being peaceful in your mind. Well, not if you have too much, then it's something else. A lot of folks allow you feel peaceful after a beer. It's different. I don't know if I can tell you how it is. Well, all right then. His look was not unkind. In the interest of your new business, I guess I'll say I hope folks have the same experience you did. So do I. She retied the sack, took his mallet, and started nailing the crate lid back down. When she looked up again, Cal was emerging from the office area. He stopped in front of her and stared at the floor ruminatively for a moment, and she was content to wait for what he had to say. Figure you might need a sort of kitchen back there. Stove, maybe a water barrel and some copper pipe. Hooks for pots and pans. The water barrel's not a bad idea. I should have thought of that since I'll need the water. But a kitchen? What do I need that for? Well, he said, looking apologetic. If you find nobody wants any of the beans and water, at least you can feed them. As the day drew down, the rain stopped, and the city smelled, if not clean, then at least refreshed. It wasn't quite dusk, but Viv took her lantern and her notes out to the tack box, which had cemented its role as her porch bench. Before she could settle in to re-examine them, she spied Laney across the way, wrapped in a shawl and blowing on a mug of tea. Viv set the lantern on the box, tucked away her notes, and stepped over the drying puddles to join the woman on her porch. 
Evening, she said. It is, Laney nodded at the livery. Seems you've been mighty busy, miss. She grinned slyly when she said it. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Sleeping in there, are you? Hope you're locking up at night, dear. It's close to the high street, but I wouldn't like to see you running afoul of somewhat unsavory after dark. Viv couldn't mask her surprise. As a rule, folk spared little thought for her physical well-being, herself included. She was touched. Don't worry, locked up tight. But speaking of anyone unsavory, Viv tried to sort out what she wanted to ask. Had a visitor today, big hat. She held her hands out wide from her head. Fancy shirt, Stonefay, I think. You know him? Laney snorted and slurped her tea. She said nothing for a long moment, then sighed. One of the madrigals, I reckon. The madrigal, huh? Some kind of local kingpin? A bunch of stray dogs, spat Laney. The madrigals got the leash. Her wrinkles bunched tight around her mouth. But the madrigal ain't to be ignored. When they ask you to pay, she gazed sharply at Viv, and they will ask. You'd best bank your coals and pay. I'm not sure I can bring myself to do that, she replied mildly. Laney patted Viv's considerable forearm. I know you mayn't have fought to till now, but seems to me you ain't here to do what you've always done. Am I wrong? The old woman had startled her again. Well, that's true, Viv said. Still, for all that, not sure I can roll over for a little man in a big hat and a silly shirt. Laney chuckled darkly. Never mind the man in the hat. The madrigal's what you want to worry about, and nothing silly about them. I'll be careful, said Viv. They stood in companionable silence for a few minutes. Viv glanced sidelong at Laney's mug of tea. Say, you ever have coffee? She asked. Laney blinked at her and looked affronted. Why, I never have. And the way I was brought up, a lady doesn't talk about her maladies, she said primly. Viv barked a laugh to the old woman's great annoyance. Viv moved her bedroll and lantern to the loft under the slope of the roof. The smell of coffee beans filtered up through the cracks in the boards, and she inhaled it deeply like a warm, earthy memory. The tarpaulin thumped like a distant drum in the occasional gust of wind. In the lantern's light, black blood gleamed where it leaned against the wall. Viv stared at it for a long time and thought about the man in the hat and the madrigal. She felt a sudden impulse to sleep next to the blade as she had in a hundred campsites and bivouacs. She deliberately turned away, extinguished the lantern, and filled her lungs with the dark smell from below. On the roof, there was a solid thud, followed by a rhythmic heavy padding and a scratching clatter on the tiles, but she was already beginning to doze, and she lost it in the sound of the tarpaulin. Then, she was asleep. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy Legends and Lattes wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.